You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. There's only one light that you can actually have life from, you can actually live by. There's only one light that promises life and life eternal. As I was thinking about you guys this morning, uh, I thought, what, what do these guys need to hear today? And it's this plea from John's gospel to not waste your life holding on to all the many lights that the world offers, but to to go after the guiding light that actually can give you real eternal life. What John wants us to do is invest our lives in believing in the promise that there is one light, that there is one person, and that his name is Jesus, and he leads to life in the fullest and richest sense. So if you have a Bible with you, you can, if you didn't know where that was, it was in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the passage that was read was verses 1 through 9. Um, and today I'm going to focus just on the first four verses. So John 1, 1 through 4. Let me just pray for us as we open God's Word today. Lord, we do thank you uh, for who you are. With thankfulness in our hearts, we come to you. And we, we think of these kids up here. We think of how you've moved in our lives recently. There's so much to give you thanks for. And especially in this Christmas season, as we look to your coming again, God, we thank you for your gift of life, that you would come in the person of Jesus Christ uh, as, a, as, a, as a small baby and lead us to life in the most humble way. We thank you today for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at John's gospel and discovering what it means that Jesus has come into the world. That Jesus has come into the world. This has shaped history. It's been the center point of history for a long time. It has many implications for our lives in general. But specifically, what does it mean to you that Jesus has come into the world? The passage that we heard read is actually uh, really poetic, right? It almost sounds, some of you guys are songwriters, musicians out there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, right? It has this repetition and this lilt to it. And that's actually because it was a song. It was a song that the first century church sang. It was a, a, what would be called an overture or a theme song really, about who Jesus is and what he has done in the world. And so John uses this amazing song at the beginning of his gospel to almost act like a trailer, okay, telling you what he's going to write about for the next 20 chapters, 21 chapters, but for the next 20 chapters as he tells the story. And so in, this, in these nine verses, it's just like jam-packed with themes and theology. And so the best device for that is what? Prose? No, it's poetry. The best device for that is poetry, to tell the story of who Jesus is in a memorable and loving way. We actually sing a song in this church called Christ the Word um, in a similar similar vein. So in many ways, uh, this, this small passage is revealing what's going to happen in the book of John. Whenever we approach the Bible, when we approach an ancient text, remembering it was written 2,000 years ago, maybe 70, maybe 90 AD, we got to come to the Bible on its own terms if we want to actually understand what it's saying to us. 
if, if it's true, then what it's saying to me is really important. And so we need to understand what it is really saying. And in order to do that, we have to come to the Scripture on its terms. And thankfully, in the book of John, he actually does a lot of the work for us. So John, out of many gospel writers, actually gives a very uh, obvious purpose statement. And I don't know if you guys can find it in the slides there. But in John 20, verse 31, in John 20, verse 31, uh, is the very, almost the very end of his gospel. So it's 20 chapters later from what we read today. This is what he says. But all of this has been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So from the very beginning and the very end, John is trying to help us understand, I wrote all of this for one purpose, that you would know who Jesus is, and that by believing in him, that you would have life in his name. And so what I am desperate to communicate as a faithful preacher is that you get a hold of that, that you get a hold of what John is saying about the light that brings life. Man, there are are all sorts of of twinkling, distracting lights out there. Am I right? How many things are, are vying for your attention on a daily basis? There's so many things spotlighting a specific way to live, a specific person to be, a kind of man that you ought to be, how you ought to strive. There's so many ways of life flashing at you all the time. But do they lead to life? Do they lead to life? And what's more, do they lead to eternal life? Everybody, everybody who's advertising anything, anybody who's trying to recruit you to something, anybody who's trying to just get in front of your face and, and affect you, is selling you something. They're giving you some kind of version of life. For most people, they're not as bold to say, I'm going to offer you eternal life. Imagine if a Lindor commercial came on and they said, we offer you eternal life. No, it just, it wouldn't hold up, right? Like, it it doesn't hold water. Um, They're offering you what? A moment of real pleasure. A moment of real life. But how many people are offering eternal life? There are some, very few. Uh, And this is what convinced John. Only one of them can back it up. Jesus convinced John, the apostle, that he could give away eternal life. He had convinced him. And so that's what's driven John to to give his life for the gospel. That's what's driven thousands and millions and billions of Christians to, to live their lives trusting and believing in Jesus because they believe him too. And so I, what I want you to do today as you're walking away from the sermon is my hope, my great hope for you is that you would believe in Jesus like John does. You would believe in Jesus like John does. So how can John believe that Jesus is able to give eternal life away? How, you know, this will be a, help, a helpful question for us as we set it up. We're going to answer this question throughout the sermon. But how can John believe that Jesus is able to give eternal life away? John believes that Jesus is able to give eternal life because, and this it gets a little bit thick here, and so we'll unpack it. But he, because he believes that Jesus is the word. 
The reason that John believes Jesus has the authority and the power to give life away is because John actually thinks that Jesus of Nazareth, the historical flesh and bone person, is the Word. And so then John tells us, who is the Word? What is the Word? What is the Word, right? It's a little bit complicated for us in English. But the Greek word there is logos. And John is putting a lot of stock in this claim. He's basing his whole gospel on it. He's basing his whole life on it. He's betting everything that Jesus of Nazareth is logos. That Jesus of Nazareth is the word. And so for us in in Vancouver, in in Coquitlam, in in Canada 2,000 years later, what does that mean to us? What does it mean that Jesus is the word? So as we begin to grasp this, my hope is that you will see how Jesus being the word transforms John's life and that you will have deeper understanding and believe that Jesus is the word. So how does John describe Jesus as the word? In four verses, he does it three ways, okay? So these will operate as kind of our talking points uh, throughout the rest of our time. So in verses one and two, he says that the word is before the beginning, That's a long time ago, right? The word, he describes the word, he says, in the beginning was logos. In the beginning was the word. Before the beginning. The second point we'll we'll talk about is the word he describes as the source of life. He says that all, all things were created in him. Nothing that was made was made without him, right? Everything relies on this word as its source for life. And the last thing he reveals about the word is that the word is the true light. The true light of all humanity, for all humanity. So, we're going to use these to guide our sermon time, and they'll act as a map for you, so you don't get lost uh, as as I'm speaking to you today. Our first point, John describes Jesus as the word. Remember, just before we keep going, the reason John believes Jesus is able to give eternal life is because he thinks he's the word. It's because he thinks he's the Logos. So he describes him, number one, he says the word is before the beginning. At first, as we approach this language, it might be a little bit confusing. Uh, We're not used to this way of talking, but John is being very purposeful. He is trying to slam and concentrate these words with meaning. And so we're going to tear this sentence apart as much as I, that sounds you know, sacrilegious. We're going to tear this sentence apart and, and try and understand really what do these Greek words mean in today's language. Um, we're going to do a little bit of heavy lifting and it will get lighter as we go. Okay? All right. So in verse 1 he says, In the beginning there was the word, capital W, And he was with God, and all life came from him. Now, the word that is translated beginning is actually the same uh, word from Genesis 1, verse 1. So maybe you heard, in the beginning, there was God, right? In the beginning was the word, was the logos. It's the Greek word, arche. And what's interesting about this word is it doesn't mean uh, once upon a time, okay? It doesn't mean at the start of the story. What it means is, before the beginning of the story, okay? So he's going into a prequel. He's going, if, the, if this is the timeline, before the timeline, okay? RK, before the beginning was the word. Before the beginning was the word. And so right away, we're talking about 
God territory. We're talking about before everything ever happened, before anything came into existence, you're saying something was there. Logically, that would have to be God, right? Anybody who believes that God is real would say that. Before anything began, he was there. And he was the Word. He gives him a title, the Word. Now remember, this is written in Greek, and so the word is logos. Logos. And logos does simply mean the word, um, generically. It just means, uh, if I were to use the word, the logos for candle, it would be candle, okay? Uh, It does simply mean the word, but John does something really strange, okay? Some textual heavy lifting in the morning. You guys with me so far? John does something really strange. He actually capitalizes the W. He personifies the word and makes it a name, makes a concept into a person. And he says that that person was there in before the beginning. Okay? He takes a concept and he names the concept and he calls him the word. And, and he reveals to him, uh, he reveals to us who he is. He actually pronouns the word okay I can that's that's crazy that that's a verb nowadays but you can pronoun things right and so here's what we see so far in the word this is what John has shown us that the word is before the beginning that the word is revealed in a male pronoun that he's a he thirdly that he's with God and that he is God so just in a couple words, we see so much about who John believes the word to be. And this is a big deal. If you met this person, you would write a gospel too. So we understand what it says in part, that the word of God uh, was there before the beginning. And John also says, and this is really important uh, for John's original audience, Jewish believers, that the, that the word was God and the word was with God. Okay. Not only was the word God, yes, but he was also with God. For anyone to say that the, the thing, the being before the beginning was God is not a new thing to say. To say that at the very beginning of time, before time began, there was a person and his name was God. That's not, that's not a new story. But what John says, and it's quite bold, what he says is there was, there was the word and he was with God. And he was God. So two things. And John introduces two persons and one God into the beginning of this gospel. For John to personify the word and claim that God the person is called the word and to say that he was with God means that God is at least two people and one God. It's as if he's saying, when you think of how it all began, and you imagine God, I also want you to imagine someone with God, who is also God. That's how it all began. Right? It's pretty thick stuff. You're doing great. You guys, nobody's sleeping yet, so I'm I'm impressed. We're doing it. You're doing very well. The coffee must be strong today. This is a very new idea for anybody coming to the Bible, that God is the Word, and the Word was with God. Actually, even in the Old Testament, it would be a new idea. In the Old Testament, uh, the Word is never explicitly a person. In the Old Testament, the Word, Logos, is actually a concept. Let me explain what this means. So, uh, just think about how millennials name their children, 
okay? So my daughter's name, my newest daughter, she's only a few months old, her name is Jubilee. Now, Jubilee is not really a name. I mean, some people are named Jubilee, but previous to Jubilee being a name, Jubilee would have been a concept. And what is the concept of Jubilee? Is the day of Jubilee, the year of God's favor, where God frees slaves, where God forgives debt, where God gives land back to its original owner. There's so much power and truth packed into this idea of Jubilee. And because we love that, we're saying, hey, Jubilee is going to be our kid. It's going to bring freedom and joy to people. Right? We're personifying an Old Testament concept into a flesh and bone person. And this is what John is arguing has happened in Jesus' life. That the Logos, who in the Old Testament, right, is God's work. It's God's world. It's, God, it's how he works and moves in, in creation. It's how he brought into existence light. If you, if you read through Genesis 1 or anything like that, that God spoke things with his word and he created the world. It's also God's word, the Logos of God, is also the way that God reveals himself through all the prophets, Right? We think of Moses or Isaiah or everybody in between. That through God's logos or God's lowercase w word, he reveals who he is. In the Old Testament, we also see that God loves creation with his word. That he blesses creation by his word. With his lowercase w word, his logos. Okay, And so, in the New Testament... Jesus becomes the personification of the message of God. He becomes the word of God. He does all these things. He fulfills God's message to the world. The New Testament understands Jesus as the capital W word of God because he is the fulfillment of God's Old Testament work. Now tell me, if, you, if that was all true and you met that person, think about how that would shape your life that you've met the person walking in the fulfillment of the promises of God to all creation. John believes that Jesus was there in the beginning. John believes that Jesus was the Word. So why does he believe that? Why does John believe that Jesus was there in the beginning? Uh, Jesus said so, and then he proved it. So I'll show you what I mean. In John 8, 58, Jesus is talking with uh, some Pharisees, and he's teaching them about authority and where his authority comes from. And the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, what are you talking about, kid? You're, you're not even 50 years old. And Jesus says a very famous line. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Before the beginning, guys, I was there. And they said, well, Abraham's dead, we're going to die one day too, you're going to die one day too, so if you can beat death, then we'll believe you. And so, Jesus beats death, <laughs> raises from the dead, comes to new life in the resurrected Jesus Christ, and John believes that this guy was there before the beginning. The word is before the beginning, Jesus' enemies had him dead on a cross, and yet he came to life. And after witnessing that, of course, of course John believes, man. The facts are in front of him. Of course he believes. John believes Jesus is the word who was there because he saw him come back from the dead. And John organizes his whole book. So if you were to take all the gospel of John, he actually organizes it all around these ideas 
that Jesus performed many signs in order that we might believe in him and have life in his name. That Jesus operated on another level, so much so that his friends thought he was God. Okay. After John experienced Jesus' resurrected death, he understands him differently. Now, this is where we have to uh, be real in how we think about Scripture. Do we see this as a, as, a, as a real story? Do we see what John is saying as a real story, that it actually happened, that it's history? Or do we see it more in the realm of a Greek myth? Okay, because John was a real person, he was a historical person, and so was Jesus of Nazareth. And what they're saying, actually, if those things are true, what they're saying doesn't happen in a vacuum. What I mean by that is it has effects on everything. It's not an isolated event. And so if Jesus, if John believed that Jesus was there in the beginning, and Jesus said that he was there in the beginning, is it true? We have to ask ourselves, is it true? Is it kind of true? Is it some true, some lie, some stuff's made up? Or is it just crazy? And we write it off altogether. But you have to decide, is this a crazy story? Is this a, a lie or a mixed lie? Or is it true? Because it doesn't happen in a vacuum, and it does actually have massive effects on your life. The criteria for the need to ask this is universal. If you can ask it, you have to answer. Is this true? Was Jesus there in the beginning? Our second point today is that Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, the word, or as John describes the word, it is the source of life. The word is the source of life. I was um, taking my oldest daughter to uh, dance class yesterday. And I was looking, we were a little bit late, but we were going to be late. It was one of those days. And uh, I was looking in my rearview mirror to see if she was a little bit stressed out for dance. And she wasn't. She was just looking out the window at the mountains. And it was a beautiful day, right? And so I tried to get her attention to kind of gauge where she's at. And I said, hey, Elle, I'm going to be uh, preaching at the church all day tomorrow. But I, mom has a surprise for you guys in the afternoon. She's like, Oh, man. I was like, oh, that's so cute. Like, she still likes me, you know? She, she must be very, very young. <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, man, you're going to be preaching all day. I'm going to miss you, Dad. And I said, oh, that's, that's so sweet, sweetheart. And then I said, hey, since I'm going to be talking to these people, uh, what do you think I should tell them about? And she said, uh, very honestly, she said, I have no idea. I don't know, is what she said. I don't know. And I pushed her a little bit. I said, no, seriously, like people coming to church, what do you think is the most important thing people need to hear? She said, well, you should probably tell them about Jesus. I was like, well, that's a really good start. And uh, what about him? I'm pushing her now, right? What about him? Well, maybe, uh, maybe about his death. And I was like, like on the cross, like how he died for sin? She's like, no, that's not what I meant. Like how he's not dead anymore. And I was like, Wow. That is really good, Al. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> no. But when we think about Jesus, it is remarkable that he was a good person. It is. It's remarkable who Jesus was, uh, Christian or not. People look to him as a, as a moral leader. It's remarkable that he would even die for people who hated him, that he would love his enemies, that he would practice these morals. And, and those things are true and amazing and worth talking about. But it is the marvel of marvels that Jesus 
isn't dead anymore. Listen, if that's true, it affects everything about your life. If what he's claiming is true, that if he is the word of God, the very source of life, that anything that was created came through him and nothing that was created came without him, right? That everything came from his hands. If Jesus is the source of life, then that changes absolutely everything. But is it true? John was convinced that it was true. John was convinced uh, that Jesus was telling the truth. Of all the signs that altered John's life, the most, uh, this was the most, Jesus coming from the death, from, coming back from the dead, as it should be, right? The word being the source of life is John's, is John's primary emphasis of his gospel over and over again. It's actually, I read one commentary, he said, uh, one commentator said, over 36 times John repeats the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ in his gospel. There's only 21 chapters, Okay. Over 36 times, John repeats this promise over and over that Jesus is the source of life and that we can have life in his name, right? We'll go back to John 20, 31, the purpose, the purpose of the book. But these things are written so that you may believe Jesus, uh, excuse me, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing his name, <clears throat> excuse me, that by believing you may have life in his name. What, I, what I'm desperate for you to hear this morning is that there are many ways to live your life. You could just go any direction you want, basically. There are so many lights to, to live in. There's so many perspectives and worldviews to live by. There's so many teachers to listen to. But how many of them are promising you life? How many of them are promising you eternal life? Of the very few that dare to promise you eternal life, can any of them back it up? This is, this is what has shaped my life. This is what has shaped John's life. That Jesus can back it up. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but will have eternal life. John believes that Jesus was the Word who was in the beginning, and John believes that Jesus is the Word who brings the source of life. And this brings me to my third point, that John believes that Jesus is the Word. John believes that Jesus of Nazareth is the very Word who is the true light for all humanity. And so what does it mean, what, what does John mean by light? How does John use this idea of light? Uh, this is what we've entitled our series, is a very very thick metaphor. Um, so I'm not going to get into a lot of it as we're going to be talking about that next week with um, the light that shines in the darkness. But really quickly, when, when John says that Jesus or the word is the light and that true light is the light to all mankind, what he's saying is figurative. Okay? He's very, very basically, it's, it's not literal. <laughs> it's, it's a figurative symbol that he is the light He's, he's in the most universal sense that he is the light that we live and walk by. All right? Have any of you guys tried to uh, walk in the dark? Thank you, Marika. You guys tried to walk in the dark? Any young parents out there? Moms? Man, I'm at the point where, like, 
I'm like, the, the, your word is a lamp. Your word is a lamp to my feet, right? And I'm in like the, I mean, I'm just shining my light in, the, in my room, like trying to find my clothes in the morning because my wife doesn't want me to turn on the light or whatever. We, uh, we try to walk in the dark and, and light is so necessary for this. So very, very basically, you cannot live well in the dark. Uh, you will hurt yourself. You will damage yourself. Uh, you will slam a toe. Yes and amen. Um, and John is saying that humanity is designed to live and walk not only in the light, but in the true light, in Jesus' light, his way to live, what he directs us to do, what he highlights. Further, by saying that Jesus is the light that leads to life, John is utilizing the function of life, sorry, is utilizing the function of light that it, that it shines, that it shines on things, that it shines on things as bringing a way of clarity. Um, that light gives clarity for your life in direction, where to go. As I was thinking to myself um, about this idea, if Jesus is the true light, uh, what would it be like to see in a false light? If Jesus is the true light, what would it be like to see in a false light? That's pretty hard to illustrate. What would it be like to to see in a false light. Um, if you know me, you know I love nature documentaries. And so pretty much every Sunday afternoon, it's like a ritual, I'll be, I'll be watching BBC Wildlife. And uh, I was watching it one day, and I saw this uh, bird documentary. And it actually blew my mind. It's like the illustration jumped off my TV as I was trying to think about what does it mean to see in a false light. Uh, one study showed that birds, well, birds just have incredible eyesight, but birds can actually see in different light than humans. Uh, birds can see in UV light or ultraviolet light uh, because unlike humans, their lenses and other faculties transmit UV uh, and possess photoreceptors, which are intensely sensitive. Okay, that's a lot of talk for birds have superpower vision. Okay, these guys can see on more spectrums than we can. So when you when you see uh, a flower in normal light, think of a normal daisy, a normal dahlia on the side of a on the side of a house. We see it's beautiful and yet it's plain. But when we go into the spectrum or the true light of the bird, we see with radiance that it is bullseyed exactly where the pollen is, <laughs> exactly where the nectar is on these flowers. We can see exactly what this flower is trying to give off. For us, it's basically, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's definitely not that. And we, when we see in a new spectrum of light, we see things as they are meant to be. These flowers are doing this on purpose. They're trying to point in the direction of where the bird ought to go. Birds literally see in better light than we do. <clears throat> In normal light, flowers that would give nectar look beautiful and, let, and, and just plain. Um, in UV light, they, they have bullseyes painted on them. So why am I telling you this? When, when John is saying that, there is a, that Jesus is the true light, that if you see in his light, that if you see the world and how he's created it and how he's painted the world and how he's led you into life, if you would see that, then you would see that in that light, what actually leads to life? right? This one who created everything, who was there in the beginning, this one who has, the, who has life in his name, 
obviously knows how we ought to live. If you want life abundant now, if you want life eternal, life as Jesus would have you live it, you must live in his light. Or you're like a bird with human eyes. You just can't see the food that's in front of you. Christian, do you want what God offers you? Do you want life forever with him? Do you want the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be unshakable in your faith? Do you want to be used to heal? Do you want to be used to to do amazing things for God's kingdom? Do you want to persevere in this life? Do you want to bless others? Do you want to give your life away? Do you want what God wants? Or do you find that the offerings that Jesus has for us are plain and unappealing? Does spiritual growth look like a chore? What light are you seeing in? There is a true light that leads to life. The Logos, the Word, is the true light for all mankind. In Jesus, we have that light. And so as we go to him for help, right, it's hard to admit that you need help when you're in a difficult time. As you go to him for help, maybe the world will think you look foolish, but you'll be living in the light. As you give selflessly, you give your time away to the church, you give your time away to those in need. It may look like a waste of time to onlookers, but in Jesus' light, it's beautiful and it's good. As you give away, as you give your money away to other people who haven't earned it, it might seem foolish to the world. It might look stupid, but to God, it is life. It is his way of living. You need to trust that Jesus is the word and he knows how to guide you. What are you seeking guidance from God on? If only, if only those looking on could see how God has painted the world in his light. If only they could see what God says leads to life. If only you could see it. God has, God has invited us to live in his light. He says that his light leads to life. So why don't, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Why don't we uh, go to Jesus first? I think it's because the other very bright lights in the sky, we think that they're going to be more fruitful. Okay, so I'm just going to name a few that are really tempting over this holiday season, that are tempting to live in, and I want you to, to take what I'm saying seriously and, and apply it to your life. Remember, a sermon hasn't been listened to until you applied it, okay? So, there are these other lights in our lives over, these ho- over this holiday season that we think might be more fruitful. And so we invest our lives, we actually build who we are around these concepts, these things. Okay, so family, right? How much of you are, are spending all of your extra time preparing for family in this holiday season? Okay, family is a noble and beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I'm raising a family of my own. I love the idea of family. It is a good thing. But let me ask you, family can promise a lot of things. It can promise joy. It can promise happiness. It can promise a legacy. It can promise um, community. But can, can the concept of family promise you eternal life? 
let me ask you, if the concept of family cannot promise you eternal life, what should you live for? Should you live for your family or should you live for Jesus? When those two are at odds, and they might, they might get into odds, right, in the next few weeks. They're usually not. But when they become at odds, who will you live for? There's one who has eternal life in his hands. Let's think about love, your relationships. Ring before Christmas. I don't know what it is for you. But this idea that we look to our relationships to define us. I do a lot of marriage care and premarital care for people. And one of the things that's famous uh, in, the, in Simbis, Save Your Marriage Before It Starts, is, uh, is the lie that most people believe about marriage is that you complete me. Right? If you get into a marriage, how many of you guys are like, yeah, that is not necessarily true, right? Don't put your hand up. Um, when, we get, when we look at something like love and relationship, it's beautiful, it's good, it's amazing, it's wonderful. But if we live for that relationship, although it's fruitful, in the end, it can't promise eternal life. So if your marriage is at odds between you and Jesus, who should you serve? Christ. Do it in community. Do it in love. Do it, you know, discern that decision with friends. I think the last thing I would say is money. Money is, is not a bad thing. Um, the, the problem is how bad we want it. And uh, money, I'm sure, is on many of our hearts this season. As you think about giving gifts, or blessing others, and the bright shining light of money that, that's promising to fulfill you. Say, if you just have more of this, if you live for money, if you live in this way, then you'll be happy. But how many of you know that money runs out? Right? How many of you know that if I put my heart into that promise, I'm going to go bank- bankrupt? Right? Money's a good thing. It's a great thing. But... It's not God. It's not the light that we ought to live by. So do we want what God has for us? Uh, George MacDonald, who's a story writer and a poet, said said it this way. I like how he said it. He said, man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best. And yet man will not take it. Do we want the best? There are incredibly bright lights. Do we want the true light that gives life, that leads to life? If Jesus is the word from the beginning, if Jesus is the source of life, if Jesus is the true light, the only light which leads to life, then that changes absolutely everything. The question that we need to grasp and grapple with today is do I believe that? Is it just a good idea to me? Is it a crazy story? Do I believe this for my life? Where have I veered off? Where do I need to come back and and remember, just like John has seen, that Jesus is the word, the very word of God? We're going to go into communion uh, in a few moments. But as we... As we come to communion, as we celebrate the Advent season, every time we see the flickering candle, we remember Jesus' presence with us. We remember that he is the word made flesh who dwelt among us, and his life is on offer. His life is an invitation for you and for me. It's only ever that. 
You know, I like to say that Jesus never coerces us. He, he always invites. He's the word who is there from the beginning. He's the very source of life. He's the one who has true, he's the true light that leads to that life. Do you want to follow him? Do you want what he has on offer? That is a decision that each of us has to make today, whether we call ourselves a Christian or not. Do I want to follow Jesus today? Okay, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the word. Jesus, we thank you that you were there from the beginning, that from all time you created and you poured forth life into us. Lord, we thank you that you are the very source of life. God, for those that are um, empty and need filling from you, God, and, and they rely on you, would you fill them with life today? Lord, we, today we recognize that you are the only true light, the only one who leads to life. It isn't these beautiful things like family or love or money. It isn't anything else. Only you and your way to live leads to life. And so we, in humility, surrender, and we ask you to point us the way home, point us the way to life, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.